Radio by students for students. You are why. How to Break a Radio Station, the podcast, is taken from a show broadcast live on URY. Therefore, whenever we ask you to message in via the website, you will not be able to do so. Please bear this in mind as you enjoy the show. Hello, good afternoon, welcome to this week's edition of How to Break a Radio Station, your show here on URY, which over the course of this term will teach you how to break your very own radio station. I'm Harry, and as always, I'm joined by Jess and Alice. Hello. Hello. Uh, So last week we looked at compression as the first part of our Dynamics mini-series and today we're going to be learning about limiters, expanders, gates and of course even more compression. So I think we should probably start with a quick recap of last week. I think we should. Now, last week we discussed uh, that compression is a form of dynamic range processing that adjusts the gain um, of a signal in accordance with the parameters following threshold that is the level that if the signal crosses it the compressor begins to act ratio which tells the compressor how much to reduce the gain by and is proportional to the actual level um hence expressed as a ratio attack which is the time taken to increase the gain to the desired level and release which is the time taken to reduce the gain to zero um another thing that I feel might need, we, we sort of touched on it briefly last week, but I feel might need some fleshing out, is that a compressor doesn't just reduce gain over the attack time um, and then release over the release time. It's constantly applying gain reduction to match the ideal output level as, as the input signal changes. It sort of chases the ideal amount of reduction because um, actual physical compressors are not ideal. Um, and it, yeah, it's limited by the attack and release settings as well. When a signal exceeds the threshold um, and it's rising and falling slowly, the compressor is like perfectly capable of um, reducing and increasing the gain. So the output pretty much matches that ideal scenario. Um, but if the input is rising sharply, the compressor can't reduce the gain quickly enough. The output overshoots the ideal or um if if it's you know going going the other way um it can be released uh too late and then overshoot uh, undershoot rather um until the gain is reduced back to normal so it can be too harsh on the the next bit of sound that isn't as loud um so the processing is continuous and there's always going to be little tiny undershoots and overshoots which form part of the sound of um, compression. Anything you do to um, audio, any piece of equipment you put that audio through is going to have an impact on what comes out the other end. When you're compressing things like instruments, uh, quite complex sounds, um, compression can adjust the timbre um, or how how the instrument sounds. The initial onset of a source might have prominent high frequencies and the body of the sound, so what comes later, might have a a more rich lower end content. Um, And by changing the envelope, we change the balance resulting in the compressed sound having relatively more low end content um, and sounding different overall. You might be thinking, 
what is an envelope? Well, it's definition time. Get, get your ears ready. Um, so <laughs> envelope is a term used to describe how the amplitude of a signal changes over time. Um, you may have heard, for instance, of, a, of attack, decay, sustained release, or ADSR envelopes, which are quite important in, in synthesizers, like when you want to mimic um, the sound of an instrument as closely as possible. Uh, you need to be adjusting the amplitude according to according to those parameters. Just a little extra snippet for you there. Um, moving on, makeup gain, which we we edged again. We edged on last week is almost always included on a compressor of any type. Um, when when compressing, we are reducing the overall level of our signal. So in order to bring it up. We use makeup gain, which is a fixed amount of gain applied after compression, um, just before the the sort of final output of that piece of equipment. Um, and many compressors do feature an auto setting for makeup gain, which estimates the amount of required gain based on the threshold and ratio. And it's useful for when you're you're playing around and you're um, making lots of small changes and seeing. Um, and it helps to have the volume level constant because um, as we discussed last week, uh, things tend to sound better and we like them more if they're louder. Um, but if we're just trying lots of different things to see what sounds better, we need everything to be at the same volume and, and that's a way of sort of keeping on top of that. Um, the actual amount of gain required is, is also dependent on the uh, attack and release and the incoming signal. So auto gain is it's something that can result in clipping and um, distortion in places. So um, checking using checking this and, and using manual settings is is also it's also important. Um, another little thing about compressors is that many feature a knee control, um, which is a is a great term, um, and it, it sort of refers to the the point at which the compressor starts acting and having a knee is a gentler way of applying compression so instead of the compressor just immediately starting to reduce the gain at that threshold which would be said known as a hard knee it gradually begins um, some degree below the threshold and continues um, acting after the threshold which is known as a soft knee um, and that using having a soft knee can reduce artifacts on the attack and release phase, phase, phases particularly as mentioned earlier if you've got um, if you've got a fast um, fast signal coming through it allows um, a bit more time to act uh, and avoids a bit of that undershoot and overshoot next thing Parallel compression. So, again, something we discussed last week was downward compression and upward compression. Um, downward compression reducing the loud parts of our signal um, and allowing us to use makeup gain without clipping any equipment. Um, downside of the process is that transients, um, which we sometimes like to hear, can be damaged. So uh, another option is to use upward compression and to raise the lower signals instead. Um, parallel compression is a popular technique that sort of combines uh, the two. So you have two copies of the signal 
Um, a compressor with a fast attack and a high ratio squashes the signal, levels out the notes, um, suppresses the transient, and then it's it's mixed with the original uncompressed signal that leaves the transients really relatively untouched, and you sort of get the best of both worlds. So if you ever hear about parallel compression, then that's what they mean. It's called parallel because it's like two things going on at once, which I think is pretty cool. Um, talking of other things happening at the same time, um, I'm just gonna swig my water. Yeah. Ah, fresh, right? <laughs> um, so side chains, right? Um, audio input. The audio input rather is the signal that the compressor compresses and the side chain is the signal that it listens to to know when to act now normally we have the compressor listen to the signal that it's compressing to know when to act but that's not always the case so sometimes we might want the compressor to react to specific frequencies so that if you've got a problem in your like recording say of um, a specific frequency uh, jumping out and causing problems, then we want the compressor to reduce the gain when it it hears um, that frequency. So first, you would um, apply you you put the signal into the side chain, and in that side chain, you'd have some sort of EQ or filtering, uh, which we'll be looking at next week. EQ. Um, before the level detection element of the circuit, uh, so that the compressor only only acts on those problem frequencies and not on the whole signal. Um, DSs are, are a common example of this. So in speech, sibilance uh, is a thing, which means that S and T sounds can be quite overbearing and annoying and a de is a compressor um, with a boost at 7 to 5 kilohertz uh, which is where those frequencies tend to reside um, in its side chain and it can react quickly by reducing the gain during the sibilant sounds it's um, usually only a couple of dBs of gain reduction and quite quick so it's really noticeable um, now Normally, uh, as I said, the side chain is, is is fed by the input signal to the compressor, but some have an option of using a different signal completely. So sometimes in a side chain, you add a specific effect to the stuff that you wanted to listen to, but sometimes you can have it listen to a completely different piece of um, audio, a completely different signal. Um, and when this happens, a good example of this happening, rather, is is ducking. Um, so, in broadcast, linking it back to radio, it's quite common to to place a compressor on a music track, and then have it the side chain fed by a voiceover. So, when the person speaking speaks, the compressor activates, uh, ducks the level of the music. And when the speech stops, the compressor releases and the music comes back up. So you can sort of see that as an automatic way of um, of adjusting the fader yourself. So some people would do that by hand. They'd have the fader controlling their microphone and they'd have their bed. And whenever they were speaking, they'd fade the bed down 
um, and this is just a sort of automatic way to do that. Um, another option of like another way to use ducking is uh, you can duck an instrument in response to another instrument. So a common way to do it is compressing a bass by using a kick in the side chain um, to avoid the two bass instruments fighting over that, that low end frequency space. If you've got too much going on in the low frequency of your mix, then it can be quite, it can sound mushy and like clustered. But if you want the kick to come through, then whenever the kick plays, you just duck the bass out slightly. Um, it's quite a common production trick in dance music. Um, and it results in like a more pumpy sound one of a better word um like punchier punchier sound there we go you are wild. welcome back to how to break a radio station i'm harry and i'm still joined by jess and alice and now you'll never guess what we're still talking about compression yes we are still talking about compression um well, we'll we'll move on to other other things other things shortly. I can assure you, in case you're tired of listening to my voice. <laughs> but for now, um, almost all compressors feature a gain reduction meter, which is a readout of how hard the compressor is working. Um, it represents how much gain reduction is being applied in a given moment. Now, there is no ideal value um, for how much reduction you want to be taking place, but in general six to ten dbs of reduction should uh have a have an audible effect um the meter acts before any makeup gain as well so it is just what you are removing not what you're adding um speaking of metering uh there's a couple of things that we didn't mention in our episode of of gain so i thought i'd use a bit of time here to to sort of discuss them because they are some like radio broadcast sort of specific things um now the amplitude of audio signals can both be both negative and positive meaning that you can't just take an average of loudness um in inverted commas the the signal would cancel itself out so for decades mixing engineers have used this thing called peak metering which looks at the loudest bit in the entire song um and aiming for that loudest bit to be at zero db um because that's the highest amplitude that you can put on a cd without it clipping um this method is partly to blame for the loudness war that we were discussing last week um now there's this thing called RMS, which is root mean squared, and it's a different way to get an average. It stands for this. It what it means is the square root of the mean of the signal squared, which is maths, right? But keep listening. Um, for years, it was it was the main measure of loudness used, but RMS looks at the whole spectrum, whereas um, whole spectrum of, of uh, frequency, whereas human ears are more sensitive to some frequencies than others. So a new standard was introduced to take this into account and along came LUFS or 
LUFS, which is loudness unit full scale, um, with one loudness unit being 1 dB, and full scale, meaning that it's on a scale that goes from minus infinity um, dB to zero. And there's different kind there's different kinds of Luff's reading. So momentary is it was a reading very similar to RMS, um, and it's loudness in that moment. So it's it's loudness when you take a sample of like four hundred, just over four hundred milliseconds. Um, short term is measured over a, a small period uh, about, of about three seconds. Integrated is measured over the whole song, um, and this is this is what is used in a lot of standards so spotify says that songs should be minus 14 luffs itunes tend to prefer minus 16 and broadcasters like us should in theory be broadcasting at minus 23 luffs according to the european broadcasting union uh, which which we are um, not everybody else is though which is why if you listen to a different radio station and then listen to us we can seem quieter um, but hey, what can you do? Uh, so, LU range is the the difference is then the difference between the quietest and the loudest readings of a sample. Now, um, you may have also heard of LKFS. That is is used to be something uh, different, slightly different to LUFS, but. Um, now they've completely standardized it and it is now just the American term uh, for LUFS. And that's that's all I have to say. Radio by students for students. You are why. Right, so now prepare yourself for some shocking news. I've actually been doing my own bit of research for this week's programme, and I'm going to attempt to teach you about limiters and then expanders, so we're finally moving on from compression. Well, sort of. Uh, At last! (laughs) uh, As we've mentioned before, I'm the only one of us who doesn't actually study this, so you guys feel free to jump in if I get something absolutely wrong, because it's more than likely to happen. So first of all, we're going to look at limiters. And a limiter is a specific type of compressor that is designed to have one purpose, that is to limit the level of a signal to a certain threshold. A normal compressor will begin smoothly reducing the gain above the threshold, while a limiter almost completely prevents any gain above the threshold. And a limiter is like a compressor that has been set to a very high compression ratio, at least 10 to 1, or more commonly 20 to 1, whereas a normal compressor will be something around 2 to 1 or 4 to 1. And limiters also have fast attacks, so they'll they'll jump in quite quickly. And you can also use a compression ratio of infinity to 1 on a limiter, and that's used to allow absolutely no gain at all above a certain threshold. So if you don't want anything above what you've set, you can use infinity to 1. Uh, limiters are also used to guard against clipping, or you might have heard the term signal peaking and they stop occasional signal peaks which would sound too loud or distorted f- uh, from the normal sound and stops them from occurring altogether. And there's been a little note added in here, software limiters are able to look ahead at the waveform and apply gain ahead of the transient which reduces distortion. Uh, is that right so far? 
Uh, yeah, you, you, you're doing you're doing very well. Yeah, excellent. The, the, the advantage of a software limiter over a um, analog limiter is is as is as you say the fact that obviously not if you're doing something live, but if you if you give mm. it a track, then it can look ahead, um, nice. which is pretty cool. And uh, I think we often use limiters in conjunction with compressors. So the compressor will provide its smooth roll-off sound on the high levels, and then the limiter provides final safety net against the very strong peaks. Uh, they're often used in radio for this very purpose, uh, to prevent unusually loud signal peaks from reaching the transmitter and being broadcast. And along with its gain and threshold parameters, a limiter may also have the release time, which is how long it will take the limiter to return back to zero compression. Some of them also have an, uh, an adjustable attack time, but I, th I think they're normally pretty quick. You are wise. And now we're going to move on to yet another form of dynamic range processing. We're now going to talk about expanders. So an expander, surprisingly, expands the dynamic range. The louder and the quieter parts of the audio become more louder and quieter respectively, and as such it's essentially the opposite to a compressor. Uh, upwards expanders amplify the level of signal that passes the threshold rather than reduce it like a downwards compressor. And downwards expanders reduce the signal that drops below the threshold rather than amplifying it like an upwards compressor. Most expanders are upwards expanders, though there are plenty of downwards expanders out there and they are still used fairly regularly. Uh, downwards expanders act similarly to gates, which I think we're going to learn about a little bit later on. In an upward expander, an expansion ratio of 1 to x amplifies the signal to a level of x dB uh, decibels above the threshold for every one decibel it crosses. And in a downwards expander, the ratio of x to 1 attenuates, uh, that is to reduce the force or effect of the signal to a level of x decibels below the threshold for every 1 decibel it drops below. Uh, uh, there's a nice little formula here as well. Uh, output equals threshold minus, here we go, threshold minus input over ratio. Now that's confusing because there's two threshold minuses in there. and I'm trying to work out yeah. how, how best to convey this over the radio, and it's, re <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite tricky. Uh, so yes, that again, that's output equals threshold minus, threshold minus input over ratio. And the threshold minus input is like in brackets. Yeah. The, the yeah. second one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so knee attack time and the release time for expanders would all work the same way in an expander as in a compressor. Makeup gain is also used in upward expansion. As the louder parts become louder, the signal will be louder after the expander than before, which can eventually lead to distortion if your gain staging is off. And the makeup gain can be used to attenuate the signal, re uh, returning the louder parts to their previous level. And so that's the opposite of, yeah. That's, sorry, that's the opposite of yeah. how it's used for compression. Um, nice. In compression, it it increases, and in expansion, it tends to be used to decrease. See, this is why we need you here because you guys know about this. I, I've just looked this up online. <laughs> <laughs> and expanders. And a very good job you've done too. <laughs> oh, why? Why? Thank you. And uh, expanders are often used in instrumental or vocal performances to make 
to make it a bit more varied in volume, leading to a more natural sound, but it can also reduce presence in the mix, and is often used to remove reverb from drums. I think one of you added the question, what is presence? Yeah, um, as in like, what what is meant by the term yeah. presence well, is one of these wishy-washy sort of yeah I, even the internet adverbs. found it a bit wishy-washy because i looked it up what is presence in audio and the answer that i got was that presence make the sound seem more present <laughs> which Great. which really doesn't help i uh, what i would say is that i think it's it's um it's sort of the op- again you know expanders are an op- it's almost the opposite of um compression and so it's sort of trying to do the opposite task of mm. compress compressors make everything sound a-, a similar volume and therefore i would say that as something that's heavily compressed is quite present as in it's loud all the time and then you can reduce the presence using an expander nice so uh yeah that's limiters and expanders and I think we're now going to go on to learn about noise gates. Yes, um, I will say now, I think I'm having slight Wi-Fi issues. So if I do cut out, I apologise. <laughs> it's fine. Are you hearing Are you hearing a, a click on the feed? I am. From, from Harry. From yeah, Harry. so am I. Ooh. Harry, you're clicking. Okay, it's it's not me. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> we're both having Wi-Fi apparently issues. Apparently it is me, but... Well, I'm, I'm on <laughs> Yeah, I, I did cut out during that... <laughs> yeah. section but I've, I've joined back in and I looked for your care but we'll, we'll see mm. okay so I'm going to talk about noise gates um, a noise gate is an electronic device or software that's used to control an audio signal's volume it's very similar to a compressor but instead of reducing signals above a threshold noise gates diminish signals below a threshold and it's kind of an extreme form of an expander Noise gates, however, reduce signals by a fixed amount, which is known as the range. To put it simply, a noise gate allows the main signal to pass through the gate when the level is above the threshold, and when it dips below that threshold, it isn't allowed to pass through the gate. This is useful to reduce unwanted noise from an audio signal, however, it doesn't remove the noise from the signal itself, so when the level is above the threshold, the main signal and the noise will both pass through. Even though the signal and the unwanted noise are both present in an open gate status, the noise isn't as noticeable because you've got that main signal there. Um, uh, A common problem is that signals can fluctuate around the threshold level, causing the gate to rapidly open and close, resulting in a stuttering output. Uh, Hysterious is a common feature used to reduce this effect. A second lower closed threshold is set. Once open, it stays open until the signal drops to this lower threshold, reducing the stuttering. Which hysteresis. is like... Hysteresis. Sorry, I, what did I, I say? Hyster- hysteresis. <laughs> I don't know. Hysteresis, yeah. I think, is is how how it's pronounced. But then again, you know my reputation with pronouncing. <laughs> this is the thing. We're, we're learning from reading. So pronunciation is hard. Yeah. <laughs> so the stuttering can is like it would the gate being turned on and off really quickly, which isn't ideal. So that's why hysteresis is useful. Um, noise gates are useful for fixing dodgy recordings. I don't know how else to put that. <laughs> Sometimes a full yeah, if it's a really noisy. Yeah. yeah. 
Sometimes a full noise reduction pass is overkill and simply cutting out hissing while nobody talking is enough. Um, they can be used to remove hum and hiss noise caused by distortion effects units for an electric guitar. For example, during a rest in a guitar solo, you don't want the noise to be heard, but as the guitar is not playing, you would hear it more if you don't use the noise gate. Regular gates are also used extensively on drums because all the drums are close to each other and loud and get picked up on each other's mics. Toms in particular are played infrequently and can contribute to a, quite a lot of bleed across microphones. Noise gates can be used to pronounce and uh, pronounce produce a nice effect called gated reverb. Gated reverb is an audio processing effect that combines reverb and a noise gate. It's commonly used on drums and gives them a punchy, unnatural sound, but we'll talk a bit more about reverb in a later episode. Um, Phil Collins used gated reverb extensively, both in his solo work as well as working with other artists. It was actually discovered accidentally by an engineer, Hugh Padgham. That's not how you pronounce that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to try either. I'm <laughs> and uh, producer Steve Lily White in a recording session with Phil. Hugh had placed an overhead mic as a talkback mic in the live room above Phil's drum set when they were working on a track and the microphone was heavily compressed as well as gated. Hugh accidentally unmuted his mic, unmuted this talkback mic while they were recording and Phil loved the effects so much he used it a lot and in a lot of his music and it kind of turned into the sound of the 80s most notably on his hit single, In the Air Tonight. Gates typically feature attack, release and hold settings and may feature a look ahead function, which I believe Harry mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, in, it's like a software mm, limiter. Looks yeah. ahead at the... Um, uh, the release control is used to define the length of time the gate takes to change from open to fully closed. Um, and it's like a fade out duration. A fast release abruptly cuts off the sound, whereas a slow release smoothly attenuates the signal from open to closed, resulting in a slow fade out. If the release time is too short, a click can be heard when the gate reopens, and release is the second most common control to find on a gate after threshold. Uh, the attack control is used to define the length of time the gate takes to change from closed to fully open. It is the fade in duration. The hold control is used to define the length of time the gate will stay fully open after the signal falls below the threshold and before the release period is com com commenced. The hold control is often set to ensure the gate does not close during short pauses between words or sentences in a speech signal. And finally, the range control is used to set the amount of attenuation to be applied to the signal when the gate is closed. Often there will be complete attenuation, that is no signal will pass when the gate is closed and in some circumstances complete attenuation is not desired and the range can be changed. And that's all I have to say about gates. You are why. You are why.